Hello and welcome to the Sorry Meadows podcast. I'm Reese, and today I'll be hosting our next one-to-one where all of us are on the podcast delve into our pasts, looking at what we used to watch as kids and what we'll be watching for years to come. This week, it's Mike's turn to get questioned. Um, Mike, how are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm cool. Um, just getting on with it. Um, before we delve into the um, set questions, I just want to get a picture of... Uh, how you used to access TV and film growing up. So how would you consume media growing up? A lot of what I grew up loving was either the things that would just be on TV when I was eating my breakfast in the morning before school or whatever happened to be on TV when I got home from school. Mm. I got home, put my bag down, sat in front of the TV and i just watch what was on. I feel like because I stuck to a very set amount of channels, that formed a lot of what I watched when I was a kid. I think a lot of that I still watch now. <laughs> so what, were you more Were you more uh, CBBC or Nickelodeon? Uh, we... Oh no, Cartoon Network. A Cartoon Network, of course, yeah. yeah. I was a Cartoon Network and Boomerang and Jetix kid. Yeah, and uh, what, do you have lots of DVDs and stuff? Uh, is that how you usually VHSs? Um... Oh, VHSs were, VHS were an interesting one because it was just whichever one showed up on my shelf. So there's <laughs> loads of films that I watched loads as a kid that just showed up as a VHS that I wouldn't be able to tell you where they came from (laughs) but that did span me into sort of I love physical media I collect DVDs and Blu-rays all the time now yeah so I expect that probably started there I just like having a box yeah well now that we're on film I can ask you the first proper question which is uh what was your first favorite film um again another one that I cannot remember when I first saw it I just know this is one that as a kid I would watch all the time and that was Land Before Time Yes. The, uh, yeah. The animated dinosaur film. And I think as a kid, somehow I didn't realise how deeply sort of depressing and dark that film was. Yeah. I just thought as a kid, our colourful, fun dinosaur movie. And then I, I watched it loads as a kid. I think I must have watched it on a weekly basis at one point, just to the point where I memorised all of it. And I didn't watch it for years, but I still had sort of all the vivid sort of images from it in my mind for years. Then I watched it again as an adult when I went to uni. And managed to fall in love with it all over again. I showed it to my friends that I lived with at the time. They loved it too. <laughs> when good. my niece got old enough that she was willing to sit through a film, I showed it to her. She loved it too. She sort of ended up falling more for the later ones in the franchise that are more sort of animated and kiddie and musical. But she, yeah. she loved that first one too. So that gave me an excuse to watch it on a regular basis as well. So it mm. started as one of my favourite films. Watched it again years later and it stayed one of my favourite films. Yeah, well, I, it... I suppose it's a, it is an important question to ask. Um, when you look back into TV shows and films you used to watch, the big question is whether you can watch them now and get the same experience. Do you get the same uh, emotional feeling when you watch them? Um, is there like a tin? Is there like a ting at the back of your head or the back of your throat that you just you just shiver with delight when you watch it now? Still now. I- I do, yeah, I do shiver with delight. It's when just that opening starts and it opens on sort of just this animated montage with the narrator and just a second the first few beats of the music for that kick in mm. just I'm totally back in it and I feel like I'm a kid watching it again <clears throat> I do get different things out of the film now like now I prefer it more as sort of an emotional character story but yeah 
But yeah, I, yeah, I still just the second it's on, I feel like I'm a kid watching a movie again. Yeah, can I ask you, um, out of Littlefoot, Sarah, Ducky, Petri, and Spike, who's your favourite? Oh, Spike. <laughs> Absolutely love him. Just all he wants to do is roll around and eat things <laughs> and have a laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm very aware of a lot of your favourite films these days, and um, would it be a surprise to you if I told you that the the main producers behind these two, these films, uh, particularly the first film, was George Lucas and Steven Spielberg? No, wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, not not all, because if anyone knows how to make a dinosaur film, it's Steven Spielberg. <laughs> it's still... As proved by the fact that he made the best dinosaur movie ever made. <laughs> so, yeah. Are, are, are you willing to concede that maybe this all happened on um, Jurassic um on on what's it was it the um, Isla Nu Isla Norda or whatever it Isla Nublar. It is? Maybe maybe, it, maybe this is have, Isla Nublar. Nublar. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the the big extinction event that's happened at the start of this isn't. The extinction of dinosaurs. It's uh, it's the volcano erupting in Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a. I think that's a nice opener. So uh, I'm gonna um, continue with the theme of uh, memorable um, and favourites. So I'm just gonna ask you um, what your most memorable cinema experience is. So when's that one time you went to the cinema that really stands out for you? This is one that doesn't go back to when I was a kid. This only goes back to. It was about three years ago, and it's when I went to see The Room in Bristol live. Mm. Um, and I've I've loved The Room for a very, very long time. I watch it multiple times a year. I think it's one of those films that's so bad, it does everything so wrong that it falls sort of off the bottom end of the bad spectrum and lands firmly at the top again. Um, so The Room is another one of my absolute favourites, and I, I had the privilege to get tickets. Me and my friends stayed up just as late as we could, waiting for the tickets to go live and got them straight away to go see it with a Q&A from Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero, who obviously John Tommy Wiseau directed, starred in it, and mm. Greg Sestero plays Mark in it as well. Went to see it. It was with a um, Q&A from them at the start, and then we watched the film with them in the room as well. It was sort of, because it was all room fans, everyone in the room was, was cheering along, they were laughing, they were quoting lines, people were responding to the characters and what they were doing. Every time... Uh, they walked past one of the picture frames that had a spoon in it because when they were making the film, they bought photo frames which just kept the stock photos in there and put them up in the house. So there's loads of photo frames with pictures of spoons. Whenever one of them came up, people would throw spoons at the screen. So that was really fun. Uh, Tom Rizzo was running his own merch store that was the most unique merch store I think I've ever seen. It was it was what you'd expect. It was Blu-rays, DVDs, T-shirts. He was selling mm. Tom Rizzo-branded underwear. The, um, <laughs> the, the Blu-rays cost a tenner, so I got one. The DVDs cost 15 quid. Uh, that was one of my favourite things at the merch store. The DVDs were five pound more than the Blu-rays. Yeah, I bought a T-shirt, and he wouldn't let me tell me what size he wanted. Um, so he he looked me up and down and decided my size for me, and decided I was a double XL, <laughs> which which I'm not anywhere near. So it's the baggiest T-shirt I own. <laughs> then when I um, when I got the photo with him, I wanted him to sign the Blu-ray I just bought, but I wanted to get sort of the plastic wrapping off it first. So I started to get it off, and obviously I wasn't struggling because it's a plastic wrapping. But he said he wanted to help me, so he <laughs> he got his arms on, he got his hands on my arm, um, and then oh when God. I managed to get it off myself, he went, "Oh, you're a big strong boy." <laughs> so it was just so that even before I was in the film was just something so bizarre. And then getting in there and just being in the room with people who also love it, it was a great experience. The, the Q and A was wild as well. 
<laughs> and then I, I sort of followed up the experience a few months later because I went to the disaster artist with a Q&A mm. screening of just Greg Sestero. So I got to see okay. two sides of Greg Sestero. I got to see the side of him when he was around Tommy Wiseau. Then I got to see the side of him that was what he was like when he was on his own. And when he was on his own, he was much more open. He was much more willing to talk about Tommy Wiseau. But the thing that surprised me was that he remembered me from being at the other one. Oh, even cool. though I barely met him there because Tom Rezzo was sort of dominating the whole thing. But he remembered me, and so he mm. knew I was a fan. And I thought that was really good. I always like it when someone sort of feels like they get to know their fans. Yeah, excellent. Um, so I know he called you a big, strong boy. So do you think that if the stars were aligned and you were in L.A. in 2003, you might have had a chance to play Mark? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I think he would have seen me. He would have said, yeah, that's the big strong boy I want in this movie. And I've got I've got the full range of acting ability required to be in the room. So, <laughs> well, can you catch a football? No, you don't need to. It's fine. The film can't. I can fall over trying to catch a football. <laughs> I don't think that'd be tr- I don't think you'd be trying to fall over. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my favorite fact we found out during the Q&A. Um, and there's, there were loads of stuff that people were trying to ask that Tom Izzo was just responding to his sort of fake answers, like, because life is beautiful, that's why. Mm. Um, one of my favourite facts we found out was that there's a scene where the character called Peter falls over um, and he, he gets up and says, no, I can't do this anymore, I'm leaving. And then we never see him again in the film. Um, and then another character sort of shows up who acts like he's been there the whole film. And we found out that that's because the, him saying this is it I'm leaving was because they were running totally over schedule so that was real. the actor leaving and they just left it in and the other <laughs> character just took all his lines so that was, I think that was my favourite thing I ever found out I also found out that the room is just the room that they shot it in oh, so oh is just, that what the room is yeah so it's just it was just so, finding out weird little facts like that from the man himself was was just wild mm. cool yeah it's a Certainly an interesting film anyway, and uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, so we're going to go for a much broader uh, question now, uh, and I really want to know uh, what genre of uh, film are you most attracted to? This is one that changed for me in later years. When I went to uni and I was just watching a lot more film that I was choosing to watch. As Up until, I'd say, five or six years ago, I was dead set that my favourite genre was sci-fi. Loved sci-fi, mm. I'd watch it all the time. I love superheroes, all of that. And also, I haven't gone off sci-fi, it's still, I still love it. But when I got to uni, I started watching a lot more horror films. And I realised yeah. that horror really stood out to me. There's just so much they can do with the genre. There's so many different types. There's the slashes, the supernaturals, there's just the weird horrors. Yeah. There's even And horror, even when it's <clears throat> at its worst... Like, even when it's low budget and badly made and badly written, I don't think you can get funnier than a bad horror movie. Um, no, I, 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 I assume your, your uni film watching was probably sim- similar to mine in that I also grew up in a household where I basically watched what was available, um, what the DVDs I had. And as soon as I got to uni... I had my own Netflix, I had my own Amazon, I had my own whatever, and I could delve into the more quirky or rubbish <laughs> as well. There's so much rubbish out there. Yeah. And then but you just find these little gems. So are there any particular little gems that you found 
uh, delving th- things that you probably would never have thought of watching uh, to choose to watch, and yet you've you just come across uh, while browsing Netflix or Amazon. There's, and this this may not be exactly what you're going for, but there's no sort of single little film that I would reach out to. It's it's more sort of an idea of a franchise that that reached to me when I left home, because I obviously because. If you're just watching what's available to you, usually if it's a franchise, you're going to watch the first one, maybe the second one. Then when I got to uni and I, I realised I could just watch what I wanted, I, I set my mind on it that when I watched a film, I would watch the whole franchise. And I realised that I love seeing a series develop over time. And that's not something I, I learned until I was sort of fully watching film myself. Mm. Yeah. Um, so what, what is your favourite horror film? My favorite horror film, uh, Alien, because oh, well, it was, I, I, yeah, yeah, it's well, if Alien, if you're counting it, I, I think most would. If, if we're not counting, if we want to go for some sort of more straightforward horror, no, I'd it's fine, it's fine. No, it's, well, hang on, it's definitely uh, that Alien is as straightforward horror as you get. Oh, um. yeah, hundred <laughs> percent, it's fully horror. Uh, Alien was actually one of the films I sort of had to sneak when I first watched it. My my house growing yeah. up had had a pretty firm no horror rule, but we had. Alien on VHS somehow. So I remember watching it when I was home alone and I fell in love with it because <laughs> mm. it's so good. And I didn't watch the sequels till years later. Yeah, but that that first one is is such a classic. I prefer Aliens, but that's not a horror movie. No, it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I also prefer Aliens. Uh, but so what is what about franchises then? Um, which ones are you particularly drawn to? I love the three big slasher franchises. Uh, the, you're Freddy, you're Michael, and you're Jason. I think yeah. they're great because they they just go so weird later on. Like they take the pure concept of what made their character so good, and then you get to see how different people would handle it later on. And even when you're seeing people who just don't understand the character at all, that's that's wild. My my favorite horror franchise, though, if you've got to pick one, is Saw. I love the Saw movies. Mm. I think the first yeah. one, I think, gets a really bad rap because it's compared to what came later. I think it's a really well-crafted thriller film. It cuts down a lot of the gore compared to the later ones. But I love seeing the later ones and seeing how they're pretending like they had this big story that they had planned out the whole time when you can tell they're making it up on the spot. (laughs) They have this big twist in every film that sometimes is great, sometimes it's just so obvious. They've got this weird vibe that I don't think any other films before them had, and I think most films of that style afterwards did try to copy a bit especially i watched mm. all the hellraiser films recently and yeah they they copied saw a lot for sure later well, on even but, even mainstream media like um well i was watching sherlock the other day and you know the the final problem is definitely a rip-off of saw oh um, yeah it's taking saw entirely but but i just love it. it's just such it's a weird franchise that it keeps you gripped because you just even if you don't like sort of the trap side of it, which I, I, I really do, I think a lot of them are really unique and the practical effects they use them are great. I love that they didn't switch to CGI until really late on. But I love that they really keep you watching because you just want to know where the story's going to go next because you know that they mm. they were doing an ongoing story but they thought they could just keep making them forever. So you really feel that they just keep adding things because they want to keep them going. Then when all of a sudden one of them didn't get make money and they want to wrap it all up, you get to see the seventh one, which is a terrible movie. But you get to see where they decide, mm. oh no, we're just going to wrap everything up all at once. And it just becomes a Terminator <laughs> film. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's ridiculous, but I love it. And then um, all of a sudden, 
fast forward ten years and Chris Rock owns the franchise. <laughs> Does he actually own it? Is it? Is it? Yeah, he he what? owns it. He he bought the rights. He wrote it. He's starring in it. So I cannot wait oh, yeah, to see what he, he does with it. What's what's that called again? Um, Spiral from the Book of Saw. Yeah, spi- it's supposed yeah. to be out a year ago now, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to know because um, what do you what do you think of the state of horror right now? And do you, are, are you concerned? for its future simply because we've seen a lot of these major franchises get remakes and reboots and lots of sequels and there's a maybe there's a sense of everything in the genre has been done now you know it, it's been a hundred years of film surely they've covered everything that horror can can scare you with um, i do feel like that slightly that a lot of what we get now is doing what we've already had we get way less slashes now i think they're a less common thing which is heartbreaking to me because I love slashes. I love them a lot. We get more teen-focused horror now, which I think is <laughs> usually just awful uh, in, well, in a hilarious it, way, like Truth or Dare, but but still not great. Well, I think it's the demographic. <clears throat> I mean, you look you look at old horror films. The demographic is still young students uh, being stupid, and I suppose that that stays yeah. till today. Um, there, so what, there what... are um, uh, <clears throat> sorry, just on the topic of sort of where horror is going though. There are a few things that do keep me currently excited and hopeful for the future of wow. horror. And that's um, that the conjuring I think is, is a really good thing in horror at the moment. Just that I think yeah, it's yeah. really unique to, to the genre that even though the films themselves aren't necessarily like that unique and they're not all that good building sort of an interconnected universe of horror, I think is something really good. And obviously we get into the yes. universe for everything. Now they just copy Marvel. <laughs> I think that Robert Eggers uh, is a fantastic thing happening in horror right now. We had the witch mm. in the lighthouse, and they're both really unique. And yeah. I'm blanking on his name now, but the guy that did well, Midsummer and Hereditary as well. I think oh, he's another guy that's doing some really um, unique stuff for the genre. I will quickly Google his name, but I will give you another name that I know that you haven't mentioned yet, who is probably the modern king of horror, and I imagine one of your favourite people alive today, and that's probably Mike Flanagan. Oh. I cannot believe I didn't mention Mike Flanagan. Yeah, I love. He did I a little um, everything. He did I've a little. He done. did a little Netflix. He did a little Netflix show, didn't he? Uh... Yeah, he certainly did. One that I completely <laughs> so... forgot. I've already spoken about on this podcast. Yeah, Blind Manor, <laughs> Hill House, excellent. Gerald's Game and Doctor that he did as well. Doctor Sleep, his Stephen King adaptations, both brilliant. I love Stephen King, my favorite author. So seeing his adaptations bought. To screen yeah, by yeah, someone yeah. who knows exactly what he's doing. It's fantastic. What was really impressive about Doctor Sleep uh, was that he managed to make it a Stephen King sequel, but he also managed to make a Stanley Kubrick sequel, and it didn't feel <laughs> like it was betraying either. I thought I, I think it it combined them really well, and even those two people didn't agree on the first film. So yeah, 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 really, and really I, amazing director. I, and yeah, I think I think that film is also a good argument against what I said about horror going stale because. I find that a really a unique film, just because yeah. twenty minutes in, just because twenty minutes in, the villain goes into the uh, the little girl's head, and she's completely out of her league, and you just watch it and go, the villain's got absolutely no chance here. So, uh, yeah, how how what what horrible way is she going to end up dying? <laughs> there's, <laughs> Essentially. There, there's another thing that happened in that film that I was shocked I saw because I feel like a lot of horror tries to go very sort of toned down these days. I feel like a lot of them are trying to go for the PG-13 sort of rating. So a lot of stuff happens off screen. And then you show up to 
Doctor Sleep and you get this really brutal scene where a bunch oh, of people God. eat a child while he's yeah, just yeah, screaming yeah. and crying. You're like, I can't believe you're doing this. This is very disturbing. And, then and it's scary. Only, and that means and it's only, a good they, horror scene. Yeah, and they only like bury him like two feet deep as well. It's just... Yeah, and it was a uh, it was a famous kid actor doing it as well, wasn't it? Wasn't it Jacob Tremblay in that scene? I'm not sure. Um, but I, I know it was someone someone sort of who's currently a really famous kid actor doing it, and I think it's yeah, it's good that they got someone who could act well for that scene. So I think it needed it, but yeah, but yeah, a, a horror scene, a horror film these days that generally go genuinely tries to unsettle you with a scene isn't something you see often. I think it's something we need more. Mm. And just to finish the fact check, um, Ari Aster, um, Ari Aster. Midsummer, Midsummer and Hereditary. Well, That's he the one. He, um, he directed them anyway. I'm not sure if he wrote yeah. them. Um, I, th- I think he I think he did as well because I know they were based off sort of recent things that happened in his life. So he made a horror film about those things happening to their extreme. Okay. So, um, next question: um, What film could you not live without? So, what 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 film do you think that if it didn't exist, uh, it would have a significant effect on your life? I went for a rather interesting one on this. It is one of my favourite movies, and it's one I watch on a yearly basis. And it's Star Wars, the first one. We yeah. Also call it a New Hope. Oh, how how con- how how uh, how controversial. Yeah, not not <laughs> one of the bi- but, one of the biggest films of all but time. <laughs> I think the reason reason I chose it is because I think if you were to go back in time and take that movie out of existence, just make it so it didn't exist. I have to stop and think how many of my other favourite movies probably wouldn't exist yeah. afterwards. I think Indiana Jones, gone. I wonder if other sci-fi films, even sort of that don't seem related, I wonder if Jurassic Park would exist. I wonder if Terminator 2 would exist. Um, I wonder if the MCU would exist. I wonder if sci-fi would have even got as big as it had or if it would have just died and become a sort of very occasional thing I, like the Western. I wonder if, if low budget if low budget cinema trying to do something massive but doesn't have the budget for it, I wonder if that would have gone anywhere. And I love seeing that. I love seeing when someone's trying to do something that they don't have the budget for and still manage to pull it off. And I, I think cinema would look so different without that first Star Wars movie that I wouldn't want to go to a world without it. Also, it's a fantastic mm. movie on its own. So. Yeah, yeah. What do you think Imag- of... Um... Just, just imagine how weird it would have been. 1977, no one knows what Star Wars is. You've just seen a five-page line in the newspaper about this new film. And you go and see it. Imagine just being sucked into that world for the first time with no context. Like, what are these people? What is the mm. Clone Wars? What are all these rubber mass people? What is that robot? What is this planet? Who's that man in the helmet? I... That would have been amazing watching that in '77. You would have been so confused. Yeah, I tell you what, um, I'd just like to back you up on the point of its legacy um, and how how many um, films it influenced. The, the, I'd say the biggest thing that came out of Star Wars was Industrial Light and Magic, which is the graphics um, the graphics uh, company that George Lucas set up to do the films, and the amount of films that um, used. Uh, this this industrial light and magic, you know, you've got stuff like um, Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan, E.T., Dark Crystal. Uh, you've got yeah, stuff that like is Indiana a good Jones, set of films. Never, Never Ending Story, Out of Africa, uh, Back to the Future, Howard the Duck. Uh, How the, Howard Duck. the Ducks at no point on that <laughs> list. Ghostbusters, <laughs> it's, it's, Godfather it's a shame that Three. That comes after. 
Back to the Future. Oh, Godfather fun three, about, uh, For- Forrest Gump one. Um, Godfather. Godfather's another one that wouldn't exist at all if it wasn't for Star Wars in in sort of an odd roundabout series of events because um, George Lucas and Francis Ford. Uh, okay, George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola were were really good friends, and it was sort of part of their their experience of sort of going forward together on their films that led to Godfather getting made alongside Star Wars. If mm. if you're sort of interested in the legacy of Star Wars, I'd recommend anyone listen to How Star Wars Conquered the Universe on Audible hmm. because it's just a full book yeah. that goes all the way from George Lucas at the very start of deciding he wants to write all the way to Disney buying Star Wars and why. And it goes through the entire process of how all the films got made, but it also discusses the legacy of all of them and how just like massively different the whole cinema landscape mm. would be if that one film hadn't been made. Yeah, and I, I'm going to say it here and to back you up again that without Star Wars, computer graphics in films, uh, along I think along with say probably Pixar as well, the two most influential um, uh, companies and, and people when it comes to CG, which is basically the foundation of modern cinema. Even like films you don't think have CG in them. There, there are bits here and there. The reason why it looks so good or it's edited so well is because they have uh, access to computer-generated um, software. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting answer um, for the reasons you give. What about the franchise itself? Are you a massive Star Wars fan, uh, just in general? What about... Yeah, its, I think its, I'm... What about, what, about, what about its narrative impact, i.e. The, probably the, still the biggest um, twist in the history of cinema coming in one of the other films? Um, I yeah I, I love them all. Um, I think I'm one of the only people who who does. I love. I think obviously the Empire Strikes Back is the best one. You don't, you can't beat it. They never will. No, hardly anyone will ever make a film better than Empire Strikes Back. The fact that they did a twist that now, if if you're watching a soap opera and someone showed up and said, "I'm your dad," you'd think, "Oh, that's lazy." But then back then, it's Star Wars and. Oh, oh my god, Darth Vader's Luke's dad. It's massive. And then <laughs> I, I love the I love the prequels. The first two are awful, but I love them anyway. And because of the prequels, you get Clone Wars and you get Star Wars Battlefront 2 and you get all of that with the prequels. I love the sequels, which well, I think is highly controversial. You... I think they're excellent. Well, I think we're both part of a generation where we watched we watched the originals on VHS and then got to see the 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 prequels uh, in cinema, but as kids, you know, as young kids, and we yeah. see all the action on screen and go, oh my god, this is amazing! Ah, and then the Clone Wars TV show came out, and then we got Battlefront Two, and then we had to wait, you know, we had to wait for another ten years, and then when it came out again, we were like, ah, I'm, it's as if I'm ten years younger again. Ah, yeah, I, I remember the smile on my face when I was <clears> sat there <throat> opening night. Star Wars The Force Awakens, first Star Wars movie yeah. that had come out in cinemas in... I think the first Star Wars movie I ever saw in cinemas was Revenge of the Sith. So I'd only got to do one. Same. And then... You didn't see Clone Wars. I had to wait and wait and wait. And we didn't know what was happening. We got the Clone Wars film. Did you not? I didn't watch it in cinemas. Did I you watched not? it on TV and that's rubbish. And <laughs> then I got there, Force Awakens, sat there. Star Wars theme blares in. The title crawl mm. is happening. Biggest smile on my face and it was there for the next two and a half hours. Yeah, and um, I I mean, what what do you think of the, what what do you think of the um, sorry, what do you think of the 
comments and the back and forth thing of the two films that followed. I mean, are you still satisfied with the franchise, or are you more annoyed at um, uh, how reactionary maybe it it became? I am still satisfied because the films gave me a lot they liked, but I think that the films and the impact they had shed a very bad light on the fan base. But mm. I don't think it was anything new because the prequels had happened 10 years before them and the same thing had happened then. Um, and I, yeah. I remember growing up loving the prequels because I was a kid when the prequels came out and, and obviously I did. Look, there's puppets and there's Jar Jar and all of that and it's, it's very kid-friendly. And then growing up and finding out, oh, wait, people don't like these, blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I, I know that there's going to be some little kid out there who's currently seven or eight and they've just watched the sequels and then they're going to find out in a few years that people don't like them and they're never going to know yeah. why. Are you are you really looking forward to the future now? Because, of course, you've got the new Disney Plus shows. You've got the Mandalorian just finished its second season. I know we're going to get a bunch of... Which is great. That we're going to get the Filoni Star Wars universe. Uh, I, for one, am excited. How Do you think I'm... that Star Wars will have a, will, will now have a, uh, a lasting impact? Do you think it will reach that 100 years? It'll reach its 100 years and still be the most influential? I think it depends how these TV shows go. If they come out and they're as good as we all want and they're all as good as The Mandalorian, which I think I think Mandalorian is proof that Star Wars can still conquer sort of public like consciousness because when that was out, everyone was talking about it and everyone loved it again. Mm. And I think if, if they all come out and they're all as good as The Mandalorian and we just keep getting them, and t- then Taika Waititi gets a Star Wars film, which can't fail because it's Taika Waititi. Then Patty Jenkins gets a <laughs> Star Wars film, which after this year I'm not so certain but let's see how that goes um but i think if it's if it all works people are going to be fully back in our styles again it's just going to keep going and i i personally have faith in where disney can take styles because i think they've done good stuff with it their comics are great the people seem to love rebels disney made clone wars the, the final season which people seem to love people seem to love force awakens so i they love love the mandalorian so there there is a lot of good stuff that's come out of disney for star wars there's just been two films that divided people and everything else has been great so i can't wait to see where they take it <clears throat> cool now i'm gonna perhaps bring a downer on the on the chat right now because i want to know uh, and we've all i think everyone who's ever seen a f- films and whoever grew whoever who has everyone who has grown up has gone through something similar to this but when was the first time you realized that a film could be bad this this is an interesting one for me because I came out of the cinema from it and I didn't really have the concept of it being a bad movie. And it was, it was Spider-Man 3, um, which I have <laughs> Sam since Raimi. its release ki- kind of turned around on it a bit. It's, it's, it's rubbish, but it's got some good stuff. <laughs> I, th- I think it's, um, the black suit looks amazing. I think it's Sandman is, is pretty excellent. But it's, it's, it's quite a rubbish film. It's very memeable. But, but I, <laughs> I remember I, I went to the cinema. I was... What year did that come out? Was it 2005? Two, 2008. 2008. Ooh, so 2007. I was, Hang on. 2007. Hang on. Okay. Quickly Google it. It's either... No, it has to be 2008. It's the same year as, as um, Iron Man. Was that really the same um, year as Iron Man? That's, um, that's upsetting, isn't it? Uh... It was 2007. Yeah. Spider-Man 3 2007. Yeah. I was 11. 2007. Yeah, okay. I, I was 11. And obviously as a kid, well, you don't realise if something's good or bad. You just realise what's entertaining to you because it's got bright colours. Um, but I, I came out of Spider-Man 3. My, my brother and his friends were going. 
and I begged them to take me because it was a new Spider-Man film. Obviously, I love Spider-Man 1 and 2. Uh, Spider-Man is my favourite fictional character ever. So, And I, I grew up with those two films um, and Spectacular Spider-Man as well, which I, I think was airing at a very similar time, if not shortly after. But I, I begged them to take me and we went. We unfortunately sat in the front row, which is a big cinema mistake. And I am... Worst, worst place to sit. Yeah. I, and I watched it and I came out and I thought something was off there. I I thought I thought oh wow obviously it was great it was a Spider-Man film but but there must have been something wrong and I remember in my head thinking oh, I know what it is I sat too close to the front and because it was a big screen and there was loads going on I just didn't know where to look so I couldn't look at it properly and then I, I had to wait and wait and wait and then it came out I got it on DVD uh, I've got the DVD next to me here it's got an interesting quote on the box uh, by Jonathan Ross uh, that is not just the best Spider-Man movie, but also the best superhero movie. Thanks, Jonathan oh, Ross. He's so lying. Uh, he does not mean <laughs> I know. that. He's a ma- he's a um, massive he, Spider-Man fan. He was, he was probably talking about Spider-Man Two, and they just took the quote. He um, loves Spider-Man. But, I know yeah. he does. He's a massive nerd. Um, <laughs> yeah. So well, you know when Jonathan Ross is the guy that's got the quote on the DVD box, you know you messed up. But I remember I got yeah, the DVD. Couldn't... I watched it again, and I thought, okay, screen's smaller this time. I'll be able to take the whole film in. And I put it in. I watched the whole thing again and then thought, oh no, films can be not good. Yeah. It, it's weird that it's Spider-Man 3 that made me realise it. Because by that point, we'd had Fantastic Four, <laughs> which is a very bad superhero movie. We, we'd had bad movies. Um, Daredevil. And then, and then, yeah, Daredevil. Electra. And then, but Spider-Man 3, because it was Spider-Man and it was following off from those other two, which were so Ghost good. Rider. That was one that made me realise, oh, superhero movies can be not good. And then... Shortly after we got, and or unless that was before as well, we got X Men: The Last Stand, which did this, uh, exactly the same thing. Was that not two thousand and five? Off the top of my head, a bit earlier, two thousand and six. That came out. Oh, see now, because that's another one I didn't realize was bad when I first watched it. I just thought, oh, there's something off here. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it again at some point. Well, I love I, it. you probably you're probably at an age where you weren't that invested in the X Men yet, and. So them killing off Scott Summers within the first ten minutes probably didn't matter. Yeah, it didn't didn't matter. I, <laughs> Whereas I, you watch it and go, "Hang on, did they just kill Cyclops?" <laughs> well, right, you're right, because it was it was after that that I fell in love with X Men Two. On there were two films that I had a portable DVD player, and there were two films <laughs> I used to pick to take in the car with me, and it was X Men Two and The Incredible Hulk. So I used uh, to just watch those two on repeat. And it's weird that there's a big divide there. That one of them's great, and one of them's <laughs> The Incredible Hulk. So. <laughs> Well, one of them's really dark, and you can't tell what's going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, th- I think it was probably after I got really into X Men Two that I realised that X Men yeah. Three wasn't good. And then, yeah, it, I, 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 I think the franchise did recover itself later, but it went through it went through some rough years with X Men and X Men with X Men Three, and then Wolverine Origins, and it had yeah. a bad stretch. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had a similar. St- um, experience with Spider-Man Three for you, with uh, as you. It's a film that I chose not to rewatch. Um, I liked Spider-Man One and Two a lot. I had them on DVD. I didn't have Spider-Man Three on DVD. However, when I went to watch it, when I I, I did a watch through of the Spider-Man films about two years ago, and like during the summer, and I watched the first two fine, and I ended up turning off Spider-Man Three within the first half an hour. Like I actually turned it off. It was when it was. The moment where Harry wakes up with amnesia, and I'm sat there oh, going, "Oh God, I, I'm not, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm not sitting here. I'm, I can't watch it. I've, you've given me the first good sand, Sandman bit, and then 
he then it picks up again with Sandman. And he goes to see his daughter. Oh, it's fine. I get to commit crime because I have a daughter. I'm thinking, I'm not sitting through this. This is awful. Uh, we haven't even yeah, met Venom yet. Um, there's and yeah, there it's, are... I I I hate I hate not liking films. Yeah, you know, I don't want to not like a film. But when I when I physically can't watch it anymore, for me, that's why that's when it's properly yeah. bad. There's there are some some really good scenes in Spider-Man 3. I think the scene where Sandman becomes Sandman and then he tries to pick up the locket and his hand goes through it, I think that's great. I think the dance has turned around so Mm. much as a big thing that I now love that. I love laughing at it. Um, I think I love the Mm. design of the black suit because I love the Raimi suit anyway and seeing it in the the black suit form is is great. And I think the shot where he wakes up and he's against the window with the black suit and I think is great. So that there was potential for a very good film there. And I think the studio killed it. And it's upsetting because I really want to see the version of Spider-Man 4 that Sam Raimi had in mind because it, I think it sounds equally terrible, but I think it would have been hilarious. Having John Malkovich <laughs> as the Vulture and Anne Hathaway as the Vulturess. <laughs> having, um, <laughs> having Bruce Campbell show up as uh, Mysterio and have it turn out he was Mysterio the whole time. And every time we met him, w- it was Mysterio messing with Peter. And w- that's why he wouldn't let him into the theater. W- and that's why he messed up his proposal. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say Felicity Jones then, but then I realised that's the wrong Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the other Spider-Man series that got cancelled. Uh, that's the one that got cancelled after a good movie instead of cancelled after a yeah. bad one. Well, well, he shouldn't have gone. He should have done his press conference in Brazil then. But uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> that is all on. Sorry, that's all on Andrew Garfield. I don't care what people but it's, say. It, it's fully don't, on Andrew Garfield. Don't it's be a dick. Andrew Garfield Make the film. And the reception to the second film. There's only one good thing that came from both of those getting cancelled. And it's that we went on to get Tom Holland in the MCU, who's the best Spider-Man. Tom Holland. We get to see him in an Avengers film, and we're now getting live-action Spider-Verse. So it, it paid off. Eventually, mm. it just took our whole lives to get there. Yeah. And three Spider-Men in the space of 10 years. Well, this, this question is a perfect transition to... I've actually got two questions that I know you haven't planned, but I know you can answer off the top of your head quite easily. Um, what is your least favourite film? that you've ever seen? Uh, my least favourite film I've ever seen is one that is, is a yeah. very recent one. It, I don't want to throw <laughs> it out there straight away because I feel like it would be shameful to not acknowledge Food Fight, which has been my least favourite film for about four yeah. or five years <laughs> since I first watched it. I've now seen that three times. I've hated it more every time. It was my least favourite film from the first time I watched it. It's 90 minutes. And it feels like 90 years. It looks awful. The writing is terrible. It sounds awful. It's terrible. I spent my whole life thinking that's the worst movie ever made. You'll never top it. And then we together <laughs> oh boy. decided to watch <laughs> oh boy. The, Haunt- the Haunting of Sharon Tate on Netflix oh. from 2018 starring uh. Hilary Duff who we've watched so many of her films now as a group. And, um, she's terrible. They just don't get better. She can't act. She has the same expression whether she's Sharon Tate getting Get murdered or whether she's being kidnapped by a scientist dad and agent Cody Banks. <laughs> or whether her Italian boyfriend is betraying her in Lizzie McGuire. She has the same expression. Uh, it's the worst uh, film ever made. And I think everyone that we watched it with agreed it. It was, it can't, it's so boring. It's so disrespectful. It doesn't make any sense. Look, it, there's a lot of things I thought I would feel going to that. I thought I'd be annoyed by how disrespectful it was. I thought I'd be annoyed that there was a slasher scene that glorified their deaths. Then, then when it started to do weird things with the plot, I, I started getting very confused the, the two things I didn't think I would be with that movie were bored and confused. Um, I should be both of them. The ending was not what I expected. 
it's thing is, I, I have trouble saying these things like, oh, it's really weird. The ending's not what you'd expect because I feel like th- when I hear things like that, it makes me want to check a film out. But I don't want to convince anyone to watch this movie. I think everyone should avoid mm-hmm. it like the plague. I think Netflix should take it down. I think every DVD copy should be gathered up and thrown in a spot in the desert next to the ET game. Um, and I think the director well, should I'll... stop making films. <laughs> well, no, I was I was about to say because I'll tell you the worst thing about the Haunting of Sharon Tate is that I can guarantee you that it's not the worst film that that director has ever made. There is definitely he, the what the he did the, the same murder with, of um, Nicole Brown Simpson. Nicole Brown and the yeah, that's that. And to... I can guarantee you that that is a worse film. I haven't even seen it, and I want to see it just because I want to see how bad it is. But I know that it's definitely I, worse than this. How... I want to see it not because I think I'll enjoy it, the, there's but a, because I want to know a, how it could be worse. There's a well, no, there's a well. You can already tell it's worse just by looking at the cover. There's a man who is an OJ Simpson wearing a black glove. That that yeah, and for me that is already that is already worse than anything we saw in the haunting yeah. of Sharon Tate. That's, for me, just just that one, just that one shot. Yeah, definitely. Should I read it? I think um, if, if you're think, gonna watch I'd... if you're gonna watch a Sharon Tate film from that year, don't watch Haunting of Sharon Tate. Watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because they go yeah. they go the complete well, opposite I'm, I'm ways. Glad... One of them one of them writes her death out of history, and the other one glorifies it. And I'd rather watch the one that writes it out. <laughs> Mm. Well, I, I'm I'm happy you're being a bit um, more cheerful because the be- the best uh, then my next question is the co- the complete mirror to this. I mean, what is your favourite film of all time? My um, favourite film. You can pick one. And I think a lot of people would have a problem with me calling it my favourite, but I want to point out that I, I don't think it's the best film ever made. I think there's undoubtedly better made films in quotation marks. No, but it's, my, it's not what this is. About. My favourite film ever is Avengers Endgame. I've spoken mm. in the MCU episode about why I love the MCU. I, I loved watching it from seeing Iron Man in cinema, watching that evolve over time, seeing it grow and grow and grow. Then I remember watching Infinity War and it blowing my mind and thinking, they can't top that. They, they can't beat that movie. Um, and, and then Endgame, just, it just blew it away. It's what, mm. more than three hours long. It doesn't feel like it. It flies by. Um, it's got three really good acts. It's the the time travel stuff. It's just a love letter to the MCU. I I went into it thinking, as good as this film might be, they're not going to top the the pure moment of of Thor arriving in Wakanda. And then you get everything <laughs> in the last half an hour of Endgame. It's just yeah. moment and moment topping it. You get obviously Cap's big moment. You get the end games for big characters. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. It's just, and the amount it manages to pack in that many characters, and they all get a moment, and they all get some kind of emotional payoff. And I think I knew watching it, this isn't the end, but it, it was the end of that that era, and it did it very, <sighs> very, very well. And it's sad, and it's funny, and it's mm. it's it's exciting, and it's everything that a movie I want to watch should be. So I'll never not love Endgame. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. Um, so I'm going to move more into television now. Um, first of all, I want to know what um, what was the first TV show you were ever obsessed with? Um, you're gonna you're gonna laugh with this one because it's one I've been obsessed with since I was a very very young kid, and I still am. <laughs> I still watch everything that this franchise produces. <laughs> it's it's mm. the the show I've I've specifically chosen as the one I was obsessed with was watching you Scooby-Doo 
and it goes Obviously. back. It goes back to um, what we were saying earlier about how it was just whatever I could put on that was on TV when I was eating my breakfast or when I was going to school. And it was when I was very, very young. It was Scooby Doo, Where Are You? The original, and I picked up the occasional episode and I loved it. Like the music from that show stuck in my head my whole life. I because mm. <laughs> um, it's so good. But then it was when I started really, really watching it, and whenever it was. Oh, Scooby Doo's on! I'm putting it on. I love it. I want to watch mm. it, even if I've seen this episode a thousand times. I just want to put it on, and that was when I reached that point. It was watch new Scooby Doo that was on loop all the time, and I as yeah. a kid thought there were so many episodes. I look back at it now, I didn't realize how few there were, <clears> but it's just because as a kid I was so happy just rewatching them, rewatching them, rewatching yeah. them, and then I'd watch the films whenever they were on, and then the other shows started being sort of trickled back in on Boomerang, and I'd, I'd watch them too, and I. And it was, it was from there I spanned out and then fell in love with the entire franchise. Obviously now, Mystery Incorporated is my best one. I didn't watch it live. I watched it years later because I, I watched the first episode <laughs> and it was just so different to what I wanted from Scooby-Doo that I, I didn't watch it ah, first. I went back that, years that, later and it that's was a one fantastic. Up, that, that's a one-up for me then because I watched Monsters Incorporated um, as soon as it came out. No, uh, not, not I, Monsters Incorporated, not the fear. Not uh, well, sorry, we, not Monsters Unleashed, the film Mystery Inc. No, 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 the the, the Mist, sorry, yeah, Mystery yeah. Inc. The show. Yeah, sorry, that's Mystery, what I meant. Mon- yeah, Monsters, Monsters Incorporated. <laughs> that's right. There you go. Yeah, uh, sorry, take take, no, no, take I, notes, Scooby Doo writers. There, there's a show yeah, note I, for you. I I I saw Mystery Inc. Uh, as soon as it yeah, came it, out, and that, that took, I, took I, me I, st- I, st- I still can't believe they went that far in the. Is it the season two finale? Yeah, where they actually like they they. Yeah, I. And they're, they're like actual like zombies and yeah. stuff, and you're watching yeah, it going, "Oh my god, people are actually dying!" And yeah. and you know, you know, you go, uh, Scooby Doo never went that far before. No, I mean, Scooby Doo was... is a Scooby Doo is a great franchise, you know, Han, uh, of Hanna Barbera's uh, uh, work. It's definitely my favorite. Okay, out of all of them, but the, I just could not believe when I was watching it as well because it's meant to be safe. They're meant to be able to pull a mask off at the end of the day, yeah. and when they couldn't, I was absolutely breath uh, blown away. There, there was one other era in Scooby-Doo history where I think they were willing to go that big and that different. And that was the four films that were made by um, Mook Animation Studios, who yeah. were a Japanese studio, who who got the rights. The franchise was at probably its lowest point of popularity ever. And they bought it back with four films. You can ask anyone yeah. of our generation, even if they're not a big fan of the franchise, and they've seen these four. And it was Zombie Island, Witch's Ghost, Alien Invaders, yeah. and Cyber Chase. And the Alien Invades and Cyber Chase yeah. don't go as dark, but Zombie Island and Witch's Ghost are very, very dark. Like, w- Zombie Island has stuff about slavery. Yeah. It has bits of people being walked into a, a river and being killed by crocodiles, by pirates, brutally, while people watch on and they're screaming. You're like, I can't believe I'm seeing this, and I can't believe I enjoyed this as a child. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's. Yeah. The, I mean, the franchise as a whole. They are love, iconic. Well, I mean, I, hand I on say, heart. Hand on heart. I'm. Sorry, hand on heart. I'm looking at my shelf, my DVD shelf right now, and there are four films there which, are which I got ten years ago, and they are the four Scooby Doo films. I, I yeah, yeah they, they, I still watch them. They're that that good. I said everyone of our generation, I think, loved those, and it was very upsetting that I think one of the very few Scooby Doo shows that was on TV during the era was when I was growing up watching Scooby Doo as it was airing was Shaggy and Scooby Doo Get a Clue. And that, that's very upsetting to me because it's it's one of the worst TV shows ever. It's just awful. And I'm so glad that I had those boomerang reruns of the good stuff to, to watch at the same time. Yeah. What do you think of... um? What did you think of Scoob? I, I haven't seen it. Um, 
because you have to pay for it. And... Uh, I <laughs> I was highly conflicted on Scoob. I got out of it and wished I hadn't spent 15 quid. Um, there were some very funny jokes. The The opening 10 minutes were fantastic. Um, I think it looked great, but the actual plot they told was, was stupid. There was so much corporate humour in it, if, if you get what I mean, that, that was like, you're only putting this in yeah. to, to cash in on very now, like weird Simon Cowell cameos where he sits back and watches them sing Shallow from Star is Born and things like that. And it's like, you don't need this in your movie. But then at, well, at the end, I mean, that, they started they, to bring some did, emotion back into that. it. So they did... Th- yeah. The Simon Cowell they, thing, yeah, they, did, they, 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 did, they did 15 years ago in Shrek 2, I mean. Yeah, in Shrek 2. And it, it worked then because, because Simon Cowell was big then. I don't know why they did it here. But but towards yeah. the end of the film, they started putting some emotion back in. They they wrapped up the story well. They I think they set up a future for that universe well that I, I think could progress further. So I would like to see that Hanna-Barbera universe carry on. Mm. Their version of Blue Falcon, played by Mark Wahlberg, is, is weird, but he's got Ken Jeong as, as Dynamut, his dog. Yeah. So um, I'd love to see more of that. They set up a Captain Caveman in there. What I really want from that universe, because I think it, it fits the vibe that they clearly want, is I want them to do Wacky Racers. A Wacky Racers 3D animated massive movie. Yeah, yeah. they could do that really well. But they, they need to maybe hold off on Scooby for a bit. And I think they need to to rethink that cast. Because on paper, decent cast. I think it was Gina Rodriguez as Velma, Will Forte as Shaggy, Zac Efron as Freddie, and, and Amanda Seyfried as Daphne. And that's that's on paper... Seems a good cast, but none of them. I mean, are, did did it right? They well, they just read the lines. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Are they voice actors? And, and it's a very, no, it's a very key but, distinction. It's a very, it's a very key what? skill. You know, the, are they voice actors? Yeah. And if they're not, then but they're not right for the part. What's very odd is that that franchise has voice actors. It's had voice actors for years. Well, it's got voice actors now, and it's weird that they didn't well, use them. Well, Frank Welker, um, especially yeah, Frank Welker they still used, but not using Matthew Lillard as Shaggy. Yeah. And not telling him he's not getting the job, letting him find out by a casting announcement on Twitter, of all places, to find out that he's not getting the job as Shaggy, yeah. thinking he had been fired at the time, is very rude. You should have just kept that cast. They they do it for a reason. Or you should have brought back the cast from the live-action movie, because I think everyone of our generation wants to see that Fred- again. Matthew Lillard's already there. Put the others in. Well, we'll hang on. We'll- Sarah Michelle Gellar and, and Freddie Prince Jr. are already doing voice acting yeah. for 3D animation. So. Yeah. I mean, well, in Rebels, Rebels so Linda yeah. Cardellini, she's doing voice acting too. Do you think? Bring yeah, them all in. I mean, Linda Card, what's her name? Linda Cardellini. There, she's in everything now. She, she's yeah. She was, she was in Mystery Incorporated. Yeah, I know. So. Oh, oh, yeah, she was. Of course, she was. Um, so I, I, yeah, I do have. I, I think she could another question. A question I have. For, another question for when it comes to Scooby Doo is: Is this a franchise you're very protective of? Um, is it that one franchise where, when you hear anything, you 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 can't help but put your critical oh i'm a scooby-doo fan glasses on um is it is it is it the franchise you're most protective of i mean i uh i wouldn't say it's a franchise most protective of. i i sort of i have to switch off a bit with scooby-doo you have to have a very specific mindset to be a scooby-doo fan and that is that you have to watch it thinking what i'm about to watch is not going to be high art in any way I have to look at it as fun mystery adventure with talking dog. But have you? And yeah. it's just surprising when you do get a high art thing. But there, there are Sorry. things I get very defensive yeah. of with Scooby Doo. Yeah. I when someone says that Scrappy is one of the worst characters ever, I feel the need to explain the reason they're wrong. <laughs> um, and that's that that he um, 
when he was introduced in his first season, he was very, very good. He was very likable. But because he was so popular, they wrote uh, Velma, Freddy and Daphne out and gave their characters <coughs> to Shaggy, to Scrappy, and made him really unlikable. So then you get a bunch of really bad seasons with him, which are what people remember is him being terrible. But then they came, the, the other characters came back or, for a bit. Da- Daphne came back more permanently and then Scrappy got likable again in, in 13 Ghosts, with, uh, Reluctant Werewolf, Gore School. He got likable again in those. So I think that there's a very short era where Scrappy is the worst, but he's not the character people make him out to be. And I don't think our generation growing up with him is the villain in that first movie, which I love. I, I won't say that's a bad thing, but I think that sort of helped reinforce the stereotype that he's awful. I'm, and I, I really think he needs another chance. Yeah, but I, I don't want to blame him in that film because they did abandon him in the middle of a desert. He's a puppy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's not actually in, in that universe. He's not a puppy. He's a fully grown little dog. Adult, but he's just got a glandular. He's got a glandular disorder. Yeah, but they just they just abandoned him in a desert. Just abandoned him in a desert, which is the worst place to abandon someone. Yeah. But like you, you get regular jokes in the shows now where, where they'll reference Scrappy and then they'll they'll either be really angry or they'll act like he doesn't exist or they'll like, act like they've got to ignore him. Mm. And I think you you need to give him another chance. We're in the era now where, where people get second chances in, in these I things. I mean, they, they get... Like, they, char- characters that started terrible come back and people love them now. They, they need to give him another chance. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, Favourite TV show? Um, what's the What's the one that you gravitate the most towards? I think we're, oh, favorite Scooby Doo TV. No, show? no, favorite TV. Favorite, favorite TV, TV in general. general. I I know the answer to this because it's it's probably a, oh it's yeah <laughs> it's not as it it's, it's community. Yeah. I I love community. So, it's t- it's phenomenal. Hang it's, on, so I so I mean I only got introduced to community what only about a year ago now. Um, I can date when I first watched Community because it was the week after I watched Horse Girl, which had Alison Brie in it. But um, what I what I've never I've never met somebody who actually watched it as it came out. So I want to know. When you first watched Community, how it grew on you, and what you think of it now? I first watched Community in 2014. It had, at that point, been cancelled after season five. So as far as I knew, it was all over. Um, and then I I decided to start watching it. I'd, I'd finished school, and I was working through my gap year before I went to uni, and I just wanted something to sit down and watch with my dad in the evenings. And we found Community... On, I think it was on Prime at that point. Was it? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was back back then, and I fell in love. I finished the first episode, and I already knew. Yeah, this is my favorite show ever. I I couldn't get enough. I was I was looking up like facts about each episode after I'd watched that specific episode. We we been through so fast. We got through it all. As I was watching it, I discovered oh the show's been renewed. Oh by who? Oh Yahoo Screen. What a what an interesting look for the future of entertainment and, and the sixth series was coming out as I was watching it. <laughs> I had no way of watching it because as it turned out, Yahoo Screen turned out to be a terrible service and wasn't available <laughs> anywhere. Um so I, I watched it all, we finished it, and then I thought I don't want to be done with community. Um so I'm going to watch it all again. I watched it all again straight away and I think you did something very similar. Um I then got to uni. I went to HMV and bought the DVDs. Uh, the second I saw them on the shelf, because I needed to watch them again, watch them again and discover, oh, what's this extra two discs? Oh, it's it's season six. It's 13 episodes of Community I've never seen before, which was very exciting for me. So I finally got to finish the show. I managed to get through all of those. Then I 
watched it. That was three times two. Then I paused a bit and I, I went back to do my yearly rewatches, which I call a yearly rewatch. It's it's twice twice a year. I can't deny that because I, I hit the point where I start watching random episodes and then go, I might as well watch the whole thing and then watch the whole thing. I I think I watched it again the year later and I ranked every episode. I watched it again the year after that and I added my favourite line from every episode to that ranking. <laughs> I added which character yeah, yeah. I think gets the, the best like, look in that episode. So that ranking grew into a proper full document. And I just can't stop watching it. Every time anyone asks me to recommend a show, if they haven't seen Community, I will tell them Community because I didn't know anyone that watched it as it aired because it didn't really air here much. Um... Uh, so I recommend to them, and I think most people I've recommended to really loved it. You in particular watched it what five times yeah, during lockdown. Well, yeah, um, well, we'll, we'll round we'll round <laughs> down for generosity. <laughs> but yeah, it's so I keep recommending it to people. I I get very worried that I will recommend it one day to someone who won't like it, and it's only happened twice so far. Um, but the the fact that I can recommend it to people, then they fall in love with it as well, and then they want to talk about mm. it a lot is very impressive. The fact that I can find three people who like it enough to want to do a podcast about it, uh, Intermediate Studies of Podcasts and Originality plug, um, I think is is very exciting as well. Mm. And I I have never put an episode on and thought, I've watched this show too many times now, I'm bored of it. Even my least favourite episodes, even Advanced Introduction to Finality, even Intro to Felt Surrogacy, I, I look at those episodes and I go, I have so many faults with these episodes. I'm massively entertained, though. Yeah. What what a cast as well. And I think that cast, they can show up in anything else and I'll be entertained by them, even if it's John McHale showing up in Spy Kids 4. I'll watch it and I'll go, oh, this movie's terrible. John McHale's here, though. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, I think this, this perfectly um, runs into my next question because you've already given your answer to this one to me in advance. But um, when was the first time when you watched a film or TV show and you saw yourself portrayed on screen like there was a character and you're like oh my god that's me uh funnily enough it, it was community because <laughs> i i feel like that that's at that transitional point of your life where you come out of school and you're about to go on to whatever's next whether it's university or whether you're going to work whatever that is but it, it's a full transitional point in in someone's mm. life and i i had watched a lot of tv and film already up to that point but i hadn't hadn't dived in and become the full fan I am now. Um, but I, I'd never seen that one character fully connected to. I connected a lot at a very young age to Spider-Man, but not Spider-Man. I connected to Peter Parker, mm. the bully nerd. And I think that's why Spider-Man was such a good character when I was young. So you get that fantasy in your head, like, yeah, I, I'm like that. But, but what if I was also a superhero in my spare time? But then I reached Community and I find Arbed, who I won't say I'm fully Arbed, He's he's got obviously things going on that I, I don't. I'm and I've got I I'm hoping I have more social skills than Arbed does. So it's not that side of the character I, I relate to, but it's the side where it's it's looking at every aspect of everything and thinking, oh, what TV show or movie does this relate to? It's looking at like years as seasons. I love to do. I, I like to look at things as what would this be like to watch if we were characters right now at this moment. <laughs> If we were characters in a TV show, would this be an entertaining moment of this TV show? And I've, I've always loved to sort of look at life as the lens of what if this was a movie or TV show? What's, yeah. what's going on here? What would my trailer look like? What would my 
what would the fan tributes people would make yeah. of me on YouTube the, when I leave the show look like? Yeah, would the finale? Yeah. That, that's the side of our. Would the, fa- would the finale to. be a satisfying, a satisfying, a satisf- a satisfying ending? Uh. Yeah, so so that's the side of our bed that I really relate to. The the like, what's what's happening now? Would it be what what does it relate to in terms of TV or movie? Mm. So much so that I, I set daybreak as my uh, my alarm. So I, so my theme my theme tune is as I is wake his up every morning is, is daybreak. Yeah. Are there any particular standout moments to this character where it really hit home? Oh my god, I wish like that that is me. Um Um there was a moment in the, the very finale and it's his emotional speech about why TV is important, where he starts off just doing his speech about why TV is important, even if it's bad, and then he spins it into talking about it in relation to his real life as well, and he does it really flawlessly. Mm. And I think I think that's a moment that very much stood out to me as, oh yeah, you can look at, you can try and relate your life to TV and movies, but that doesn't mean you're you're disconnected from your life. You You look at them together as two, but but that doesn't make your own life any less impactful to you. I think it's a very, very good moment. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, so I'm coming up to my favourite question because I think this really this 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 will hopefully encompass a lot of your favourite films and media all in one. And so I'm going to ask you: you are you have just been given a buttload of money by a studio, probably Disney at this rate uh, in this time. And you're asked to make a film, and you write your film, and you get that all that 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 stuff out of the way, the boring stuff, the writing, and you go right now. I get to pick a cast. Who are you casting in your perfect cast? Um, what what I tried to do here was think of a list of actors who, every time I see them, they are elevating whatever they're in for me to another level entirely even if what they're in isn't that good these are the actors who i think if they are on screen i'm generally engrossed and i think they boost everything they're in my favorite actor full stop and i talk about him very regularly is michael fassbender i (laughs) think the amount they're like the absolute powerhouse of a performance that guy can give is just incredible like no one like when going into x-men apocalypse no one was expecting anyone to put in this heavily dramatic performance. You've got Oscar Isaac running around looking like Ivan Ooze. And then you get, all of a sudden, Michael Fassbender's crying over losing his family. And he's he's going nuts. And you look at it and you go, look at like how 110% you're going all the time. And I think that's very impressive for him. So he's mm. he's the number one. If I think, was making a film, sorry, do you think, and I had the option, so, yeah. he's always going to be there. On, on X-Men Apocalypse, do you think that the film would have been a lot better if, if he was the villain after his, after his kids get, after his family gets murdered. Maybe, maybe I, I would have, I think the film would have been better if Apocalypse hadn't been awful. I like that movie, but uh, mm. uh, that version of Apocalypse is not good, but maybe Magneto could have been, but yeah, then yeah. it would have made it even weirder when Charles forgave him at the end. Cause that's how every one of those prequel films had to end. <laughs> um, well, I just get to play chess. I, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, Michael Fashbender's your, your right. He's so he's he's your your lead actor. He's he's the first on the poster, yeah. right? What about your first? What about your lead actress? 
lead actress. Okay, um, there there were the two there were two here that I, I was having a really hard time deciding between, and so I'm going to say them both together, um, and you're going to go visually that they're, they're pretty similarly the same person anyway, and it's Margot Robbie and Samara Weaving. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> um, it's fine. Just pick Margot yeah, Robbie. Pick either is, of them. <laughs> Margot Robbie is just a another one who's just a phenomenal actress. I first saw her. I think as Harley Quinn, and I thought this isn't a very good movie, but but God, she's great. Mm. And then I saw Wolf of Wall Street, and I thought she's she's putting up on a lot in this movie, and yeah. she was probably I think one of the stand-up performers in that. And then I saw I Tonya, and thought you're really knocking it out of the park here. You're doing a very good job. And then I saw Tarzan, I think Legend of Tarzan, which wasn't very good. But it, it was very telling that in that movie I wanted to keep going back to Jane instead of Tarzan because Margot Robbie was so good in it. So I think, I think Margot Robbie's that? one. Is she in that? She Are you is. Sure she's, she's in that. Jane. I'm 100% oh, that Margot yeah. Robbie was Jane in The Legend of Tarzan. God, that wasn't the, that long ago. Samara Weaving is, is another one who's just. She is, I think, currently making quite a name for herself in, in the horror genre, which I think is why I've, I've attached to her as one of my leads. Um, I, the first thing I saw in surprisingly was Three Billboards, which she's got a tiny role in, but every line she's got in it is fantastic. But then you move into the horror genre and you get Ready or Not, you get the babysitter films, which I know you aren't personally a fan of, but I think Samara even kills it, especially in the first one. You get she's the only good bit about Mayhem, first film. which she's in a lot. Um, you get Mayhem, which has loads of Samara weaving. I just look and go, she has no right to be that much better than everyone else she's on screen with all the time when she's with them. So she she would be another one up there as, as one of my lead actress choices. Uh, I'll tell you the, the first film I remember hearing her in is uh, Monster Tracks, which is a great little film. I... Uh, which is for, for, for I think if you're, if, you're a, if you're a kid, you're going to love that film. I think it's entry-level brilliant. Uh, and she's <laughs> was, fantastic. Was that the it. one with, um, with Havoc from the X-Men yes. films? Yes, it, it was. It was a truck that was also a monster. Yeah. I, mean, it's, so, I think it's yeah. excellent. I remember seeing it coming she's... out. I thought it looked looked not great, but maybe I would love it then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not great, but I think it's a lot. It's a heck of a lot of fun. Uh... Oh, she was also in Ash vs. the Evil <laughs> Dead. Of course, she was. Was she? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that. And picnicking, ha- uh, which is rock. weird. Cause I yeah. loved. I loved the Evil Dead films. Yeah, just mm. just an amazing actress. Best part of of everything she's in. Like, Ready or Not, I think, is a film that could have died very easily if they didn't have her on board. Because she yeah. just gives so much in it. And do you, do you know what? what actor... Well, did that, so the thing about Ready or Not is that when I watched when I was watching the trailers, who did I think was the main actress? <laughs> Margot Robbie. I had no idea who Yeah, exactly. I, I, remember I had coming, no idea. I remember it coming out and people saying, oh, it's the actress that looks like Margot Robbie. No, but even an hour into the film, I turns out oh, it was Margot Robbie. Hugo Weaving's niece. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, I think so. So right, so you got Michael Fashbender, and um, yeah, the, let, let's the, say let's sorry let let's say that the that this is a film with um, twins, uh, the two twin two twins female leads. One's played by Margot Robbie, the other's played by Samara Weaving. One's played Samara Weaving. Yeah, absolutely. The the other actor I I went for as as one of my my top ones is another actor who very similar to Margot Robbie. He always. Oh, well, I suppose similar to all three I've said so far. He always seems to give it everything. And the range of performances this guy can give and how 
you cannot take your eyes off the screen whenever this guy is, is doing anything is David Tennant. He's he's the best Doctor in Doctor Who. He's he's incredible in that. And that was obviously where I first saw him. The amount he has to do in that show mm. is great. He's got to be funny. He's got to be very sad. I think he's the sad <clears throat> Doctor. He's, he's got to be the Time Lord Victorious. He's got to put, put an accent on the entire time. He's, he's, got, to, he's got to not be Scottish. And then, <laughs> then you switch over and, and you see him in Jessica Jones and he's Kilgrave. Oh. And he feels like the Tenth Doctor, but evil. really evil. <laughs> and he, he was great in that. And then you just see him in, in everything else. You see him in Broadchurch and he's yeah. even saving Chris Jibnall's writing and convincing everyone that Chris Jibnall's a great writer. Yeah, he's just, he's really great. <laughs> he Yeah, and also he, and I, he, who does he voice in... What was I watching the day? He, I, I, I was watching Clone Wars the other day, and I'm pretty sure he voices. Ah, uh, he does a voice in it anyway. Uh, what he he, he voices? Do you know? Sorry, no, no, no. Do you remember the the? It's the episode where the younglings go and get their lightsabers made, and he plays the robot oh, that course. helps them build the build yeah. the lightsabers. Yeah, of course he is. Yeah, yeah, I do remember sorry. that. So that's one of the later seasons, isn't it? So he, he also he voices. I think me. the dad in in um How to Train Your Dragon. As well, the first two. He's, he's in those. Another yes, he does. Let's him use his full Have you seen, Scottish um, accent. Uh, of, well, there's there's actually there's actually two recent TV shows which I've seen him a lot in. Both of, with Michael Sheen. The first one being Good Omens, which is one of my favourite pieces of television in a long, long time. Yeah, Good Omens was fantastic. And the second again, one that being, felt like a mix. Have you, have you watched Middle Point? Have you? Yeah, I have. I've seen Good Omens. I loved him in that. Mm. He felt like in the middle point, in between. The tenth Doctor in Kilgrave, where he felt very tenth yeah. Doctorish, but he was still evil because he was a demon, and I felt like that was a very good point in the middle of those two roles. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. He's evil, but he's not bad, um, which is a yeah. really weird combination. And um, his, the other one I've been watching his um, chemistry. Is, with have you been watching Stage on BBC One? I have not. No, I. Unfortunately, have not seen stage yet. It's beautiful, I've been meaning to watch it since it started, but I do need to watch it. I I want Michael Sheen to one day get the role as the Doctor, mm. just so we can one day get a multi-Doctor special with those two together. But well, I, I want... don't think Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen well, what will, you need is, is that in the next year, Michael Sheen becomes the Doctor, and for the sixtieth anniversary, and for the sixtieth anniversary, and for the sixtieth anniversary, him and Michael Sheen get to be Doctor Who together. Oh, that would be. That would be excellent. It's, it's, Chibnall's going to be writing the 60th, so that, that's going to drag it down <laughs> a bit, but, but that, that, would, that would save it slightly. <laughs> I'll tell you one programme that's coming out with David Tennant this year, and that's on the BBC. It's um, Around the World in 80 Days, where he's going to be playing Phileas Fogg, which I'm really looking forward to. Oh, is he? Oh, yes. that should be fun. Oh, yeah, that should be I think fun. he's um, I... So 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 I went for so 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 we got we've got um, Michael Fashbender, Samara Weaving, Margot Robbie, co-lead actresses, and you got David Tennant in there as well. What I'm going to say, he's playing the villain. That that that's where he's playing the villain. Yeah, in absolutely. my mind right now. So who who's who next is in your cast? I I've got two more actors, two more actresses. I stopped at four for each. Um, okay. I had to be very restrained not to throw Haley Steinfeld into the women. <laughs> Um, but but just just take her as an honourable mention for, yeah. for this group. Um, I have I have two more of each, um, and then more just more actors who are 
just when they're on screen, you are engrossed. They are giving it their all. One is, I think, currently fully rising through her popularity, rightly earned. I've been watching her for a few years now. And this last year, she really took off. And that's Anya Taylor-Joy. Is mm. Her horror work is yeah. great in in The Witch. Um, I really liked her in Split, which I, I know is not many people were a big fan of. I thought she was good in Glass, which is a film that fell apart completely. Um, but she was good in it. I think she's she's very good there. And then obviously <laughs> we've got The New Mutants, which is just, just a horror masterpiece. Um, and then, but I think she, following on from The Queen's Gambit last year, I think she is about to become very, very, very famous very fast. <laughs> I think everyone is now looking at her for what can we cast her in? Because she yeah. was so good in that. So yeah, she makes the list for sure. On the other side for the actors, uh, I've got to put Chris Evans in there. With a beard, I want to specify. He's he's not going to be in my film and a, without that beard. And a knitted jumper. And, and a knitted sweater, yeah. I think he... in The first thing he, he was big for was Fantastic Four. And I think that's a very big disservice to him. Because his human torch does not take advantage of what he can do. He was Captain America for so long and so well. And I think everyone loved his Captain America. I very much did. He was my favourite Avenger, in the films at least, from that very first Avengers film onwards. And then when we got Winter Soldier and then Age of Ultron, Civil War, all, all everything else he was in, he stayed excellent. And I think his endgame was perfect. I do not want them to ruin it by mm. bringing him back into the MCU. I think you need to let him do other things. And I think Scroll. since the MCU ended, he's he's proved he's proved that other things are the right way to go for him. He was in Knives Out, which I think everyone quite rightfully loved, and it's I'm surprised he didn't get a Best Supporting Actor nomination for it because he was so good in it. Um, and then he was in Defending Jacob last year as well. Which is a TV mm, show I just yes. watched because I had a free years. I had a free year of Apple TV Plus. I thought this is coming out. It looks intriguing. Let's give it a watch. First episode, fully gripped, and Chris Evans was so good in it that it immediately boosted him to yeah, this guy's one of the best actors on the planet at the moment. There was a weird rumor I heard um, about Chris Evans a couple of weeks ago. Is that? Um, he was planned to play uh, Dr. Jekyll in a BBC Doctor, uh, BBC Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, uh, Mr. Hyde show written by Stephen Moffat, um, which would be oh, insane. weird. Oh, that's lots of lots of things being said there. That <laughs> yeah, because um, I know that Moffat's done a Dr. Jekyll show before. If you go back to the nineties. But to have, I mean, oh, imagine, did, imagine Chris Evans. That wasn't good. No, but imagine Chris Evans as Doctor Jekyll. I think he really pull it off because he's a really nice guy, but he can also do pretty yeah, horrible. Is, really well, I think he well. could do both. Yeah, he he absolutely he can play both those roles definitely because he just does spoilers for Knives Out. If you want to cut ahead a few <laughs> seconds, he he kind of can do both sides of it. There, like look at him in the diner in Knives Out versus the reveal scene in Knives Out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can clearly thought... do both yeah um, right so so far we've so 
for our males so far, we've got Chris Evans and Michael Fashbender and David Tennant. So there's three there. And David Tennant. Okay. Um, I, I'm I'm going to put um, I'm going to put Chris Evans down as the sort of actiony hero, uh, henchman sidekick character, and and then we've got Annie Taylor sure. Joy, um, and then the twins Margot Robbie and Samara Weaving. So one one more of each. Um, who's your Who's coming in as your your last couple of supports then? Um, I ha I, I promise what what's about to happen is is has turned out to be a full accident that I put these two together. Um, and it hasn't tweaked till just now because um, I know there was some controversial stuff involved in a few years ago. Um, I, I put Ewan McGregor and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, complete accident that I put them together oh. on this list, but but there we go. Um, I think he is another one who, again, it's, it's just repeating everything I said for the others. He just brings it all. I grew up with him as Obi-Wan and then, to me, he was just Obi-Wan. Then I saw him in other things and realised, oh, Oh, this dude's actually amazing. Uh, Train spotting, fantastic. Uh, Christopher Robin, he he made a, a Winnie the Pooh film and made me care about Christopher Robin instead of just <laughs> the animals. He, Doctor Sleep, he <laughs> he took the the scared little kid from The Shining and made him such a like deep complex character, and, and he did it very well. And I get that a lot of that is the writing as well, but those things would not have happened without his performance next to them. And don't, Mary don't, Elizabeth don't forget his putting next to it. Oh, sorry, carry on. So don't forget his um, brief appearance as in Stormbreaker, as man who gets shot by person hanging upside down. Right. Well, that would explain why I haven't seen Stormbreaker then, if that's okay. how they're gonna. <laughs> okay. Waste McGregor. Spoiler. Maybe, maybe they should give him his own. Uh, maybe they should give him his own um, Disney Plus show as Obi Wan. Oh, oh wait. Maybe. Can't wait for that. And then Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I just put on there. She's another one that I just think films. She she's probably the one on the list I've got for the most different reason. Is that I think she is one of the best actors out there. And there's this weird trend that films feel a massive need to really waste her. You get some films that use her very well that are not big movies. You get Sky High, and yep. <laughs> and Final Destination yep. Three use her very well and you go can she and i love both those movies but i, I want to use her talents in something bigger and then you get films you just have a tendency to waste her. the diehard franchise put her in and she's got like less than 10 minutes of screen time overall she's in birds of prey she's the one that barely gets fleshed out and she's great whenever she's on screen yeah it's so much so that up in loads she should of, probably get her she should probably get her own um film um yeah she should she showed up in loads of like horror movies in the noughties very quickly and was gone very quickly and she's just one of those actors that's like she's so incredible let's just she just needs more lead roles for herself yeah to, her, just to her, have that moment to shine so her um her her filmography is hardly flattering i mean let's have a look black christmas the 2006 one Ugh. gross she was in which somehow Proof. i'm not even sure if it's the worst one anymore she no, no. Um, she was in. She was it's in more. Death it's Proof. more entertaining than the the other one. Oh really? Death yeah, Proof. yeah. She's is. barely in it. Absolutely yeah. barely in it. So she manages to get away into the worst Tarantino film. Um, live free or die hard. <laughs> um, yeah, 
she's oh Scott Pilgrim. There we Live go. Free or Die that's Hard. She's good... in more than she's in a good day to Die Hard. Scott Pilgrim uses her very well. I'll give her that. I think that's yeah, probably that's where probably her, that's most her people noticed her for the first time. Uh, actually, I'd argue her yeah. best film is Ten Cloverfield oh. Lane, uh, which is. I think I, I very much love the Cloverfield franchise. I mm. very much love two out of three of those movies, and I'm angry at the third one. But she's very good in Ten Cloverfield Lane. She is so good in it. She manages to hold a performance against John Goodman for in a small room for two hours, which is very mm. impressive. She's also um, oh, she's almost she's also in the the Thing prequel, which I I really like. Um, I there are parts of that movie I like, and it's the parts where they're doing the first one again. Yeah. Then every time they try and do something different, I get annoyed. Like the filling <laughs> tactic is is like, what are you doing? Even I know this is a terrible idea. Where's Keith David? I want more. <laughs> oh, Bring Keith she was David. also in um, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. What? <laughs> that that is one I have not seen. Oh. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so she's got a very mixed filmography. But yeah, I think yeah, I think you so are let's, right. Let's put her in something good. Yeah, let's put her in some. Oh, but let's not waste definitely it. the huntress stuff is is quite annoying because again, her whole plot line is enough for one film. And yeah, but even when she shows up in the film, even the other characters can't get enough of her. <laughs> the other characters in the film love her too. Mm. So it's like, yes, more of her, please. So yeah, more of that. Apparently, she's very good in the Fargo TV show. Yes. for a bit, which I haven't seen. Yeah, and so um, after that, so that's a pretty good cast there. So. Uh, a lot of big names there, um, and we're, we're getting Haley Steinfeld in for that. I like, for that I like, I like the fact we're, we're not we're not going without her. Yeah, I like the fact that it's all like they're all quite mainstream names as well. I mean, you can't go wrong with this film. I, I could already tell. No, you, you can you can put all those names on a poster, and someone's going to see it. Yeah, it doesn't even need it. to have a plot. Just put those names on a poster, and you can no. sit in a room and just watch watch them. <laughs> just just oh, watch highlight clips if, of them. <laughs> <laughs> if we're gonna make it, if we're gonna make it a virtually plotless film, you already said Chris Evans is gonna be our, act- our action guy. Yeah. So if we're gonna make it virtually plotless, <laughs> um, but with the occasional bit of action, there's only one director I'm choosing for that, and some of these have worked with him before, and that's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Fastbender's worked with him before. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winston's well, worked with him before. You know what? I'm... So let's give you... Quentin Tarantino this cast. Well, you know what? Conversations, bit of well, you action, know what? What he does. You know best. what? You know what I'm gonna say now then. It'll be per- yeah. this, this is the perfect cast for his um for his Star Trek film. Oh, there we go. There we go. We've 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 done it. Fastbender's the captain. Uh, Tenant Tenant uh, can I want Tenant can be a Romulan because you know he's got a big forehead. Um, yeah, we, we've got um two science technicians. Oh, who happen to be twins. Um, make 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 Chris Evans a Klingon. A Klingon. <laughs> oh, ah, Oh, he'd be perfect. Um, Anya Taylor Joy is um, a droid, or whatever. Nah, I is. think nah, I think she she she's definitely the Vulcan there. Oh, actually, yeah. Now you say that, she could be a Vulcan droid. I, I I'll, I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> no, I Taran- <laughs> Vulcan droid. Yeah, so Tarantino's. How little emotion can you get? Yeah. <laughs> so Tarantino's your favorite director then? Absolutely. Yeah, he's. I know some people have problems with him, and I don't think all his films are perfect. I've already said I've got a lot of problems with Death Proof. But he is such a unique director that even when some other people try to make movies of his style, it's very clear that they're trying to copy him. He just does really long conversations, and then all of a sudden it, it erupts into people dying horribly. 
And all his films, they all feel very different, but also you can tell they're all his. Mm. And the the range there is huge. You get, so obviously Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, I'd say as a first two are pretty similar, but then the fact that they're made by the same person who made Kill Bill and then Inglourious Bastards, and they, they all feel very different, but you can also tell that that's all the same voice making them. And I think as a filmmaker, he is excellent, but I would like a few less feet in his movies. <laughs> uh, debatable. Um, so we'll, we're coming to the end of this um, interview now, and I just want to maybe uh, end with a look to the future. So is there, is there any film or anything that's coming out soon that you're most excited for? Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of movies coming out this year that I, I thought through. I thought, obviously, Spider-Man 3 is going to be great. That's multiverse, but I don't know enough about it yet. Most of the MCU films, really. Uh, the Snyder Cut is coming out, which I've, that I just I just want to see what it's going to be, to be honest. I think it's going to be a trash fire, but I've got, I've got to know what it's going to look like. <laughs> so there's a lot of films, just, just little things. Last Night in Soho, and yeah. this new film with Matt Smith and Annie Taylor-Joe, things like that. But if there's one film, that I'm absolutely the most looking forward to at the moment. And I think the reason I'm most looking forward to it is so close. We've got a trailer now. I rewatched all the films, all 35 of them leading up to it last year for, for one of the characters. I'm currently making my way through the films with the other character. And it's Godzilla vs. Kong. I love kaiju movies. I just love big monsters punching each other. I even love the, the stories that those movies try and shoehorn in. And they are the... I know, they're two of my top three kaiju of all time. The Cloverfield monster sandwiching in between them. So it's a Godzilla number one, King Kong number three. And the last time they fought is was back in the 60s and it's two guys in costumes having the most bizarre yeah. wrestling match you've ever seen. <laughs> King Kong feels nothing like himself. He can recharge himself with electricity. There's a point where he does a slide tackle down a hill. He rips a tree out of the ground and shoves it down Godzilla's throat. <laughs> And it's just such a weird film, and I love that one. And I want to see what you can do with that exact film now with modern special effects. And if there is one thing these this legendary MonsterVerse has done well so far, it's those special effects. Mm. And I want to see... And th- these movies, they, they act very smart, but they're as silly as these movies have ever been. Mm. Th- these movies are dumb, and they know it, and I cannot wait to see... Like, even just that trailer, you hit the point where it looks like it's building up to be some slow King Kong drama... And then all of a sudden Godzilla shows up and Godzilla and King Kong are stood on a tiny boat and King Kong's punching him in the face and then all of a sudden King Kong's in the hollow earth and he's fighting monsters. Then all of a sudden King Kong's got an axe and he's going for the head. Um, and it's, it's like, what is this movie going to be? I cannot wait. It's going to be massive. I really hope I can see it in the cinema. But yeah, that's, that's the one for me yeah. at the moment and we're so close to it. Yeah, you're definitely not seeing it in the cinema. Not in this country anyway. No, I, I, no. Well, you're all well, we're not seeing it on HBO Max either because um, we don't have that either. Well, so. All that's been saying now um, is uh, thank you very much, Mike, for partaking in this one-to-one interview. Uh, and thank you all for listening uh, on this Sorry Notice podcast. Uh, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Mike. 